0: Life Audio
1: Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com.
0: Hello, thank you for listening to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we attack our most pervasive fears with truth. Because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We are passionate about helping you discover, embrace, experience, and live out the full freedom of Christ. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery. And I'm Kelly Campbell. And we know that some of you are going through incredibly painful circumstances. You might feel ready to give up hope. You may fear that your hardship indicates that God is displeased with you, that your pain will never end. Or that nothing good could possibly come through it well kelly and i discussed this topic briefly in a previous episode but having heard from some of you regarding your current struggles and your related fears we wanted to expand on this topic further now i do have to say sometimes we do suffer due to poor choices but much of our heartache also comes from living in a broken world where there is sickness there are storms there are diseases and earthquakes and wars and rumors of war And we see a lot of this throughout scripture from a man born blind, who Jesus healed in John chapter nine, the entire book of Job and the disciple, Paul, everything he experienced throughout his life. Jesus told us we would experience trouble. The question therefore isn't, will we suffer, but how will we handle it? And to whom will we turn when we do?
2: That's such a good point, Jennifer. I often think in my own situation, right after I had my stroke and became permanently disabled at 40. And a lot of people come to me and say, you're handling things so well. You have such a good attitude. And the truth was, I really didn't. I was angry. I was sad. I wasn't praying very much, because honestly, I didn't know how to pray, what to pray in this situation. But I took my complaints, I took my questions and my doubt to God and not to other people. And I realized that my God is big enough to handle my doubts and handle my complaint and always responds in grace and mercy, which is really what we see in Numbers 11. If you're not familiar with that story, it's the story of when the Israelites had just been set free from Egypt, just witnessed an incredible miracle of of the parting of the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness and they're complaining. They don't have enough water. They don't have meat. They're tired. Now these are all real honest problems they are they, There was a rough time for them. The difference being is that they went to each other to complain, and they went to Moses to complain about God. It made Moses angry. Moses also started complaining, but the difference was Moses then complained to God. Moses went to God and said, "I don't understand what's going on. Why did you give me these people? What should I do and threw himself on the utter dependence of God. The Israelites and Moses did both complain, but they had vastly different outcomes. The people who complained to one another only ended up weakening each other's faith and made their fellow countrymen's journey harder. While Moses went straight to God and God answered him with solutions and told him exactly what to do.
0: And I think that's an important distinction because when we are not careful with our words, when we complain to others, we can cause them to doubt and and then we can make life exponentially more challenging for them as well. And if you look at what kind of happened throughout the camp, you can just kind of get this idea of people and and if you've ever been in a frightening situation where you feel uncertain, And then you have somebody else. Are you sure? Are you sure? Like, this is really bad. This is really bad. And then pretty soon, whatever faith you did have gets swept away. So I think that's a very important, like, absolutely tell God everything you're feeling. We see that throughout scripture, people being incredibly honest, but be very careful. You know, and it says in Ephesians, it talks about using words that build others up according to their needs. And I think that's an important distinction as well. I speak much differently with, say, my husband than I did with my daughter when she was like a teenager, because my husband he's he's pretty rock solid, and so I can be honest with him when i 'm really in my freak out mode with my daughter I need especially if it's an area where she is already feeling weak in I'm going to be super careful because I don't want to do anything that's going to make her faith journey or or just her life journey
1: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
0: We see a lot of really strong believers in scripture, wrestling, being honest with God, but probably one of my favorite examples, mainly because it it kind of intrigues me. And and in some ways it confuses me, but it's about a man named Jacob. So he was one of the patriarchs of the Jewish nation. This was before the nation of Israel became the nation of Israel. And he had, his his name means deceiver, and he had deceived his brother, his older brother by by like seconds, his twin of his birthright, which God was already going to give him anyway, which I always find that ironic. If we really just trust God, a lot of times the very things we're fighting for are the very things He's trying to give us. But anyway, so he he deceived his brother out of the, out of his birthright, which was a really big deal in biblical history and that in that culture. And then his brother wanted to kill him, and so he he fled and he fled to Paddan Aram and he stayed there for a while. He marries two wives and he has children. And then his father in law ends up deceiving him a couple times, and so. Jacob ends up leaving and with his clan, so with his wives and his children and he'd become relatively wealthy. So then he ends up leaving with his clan, his belongings, and then he learns that he's he's going to encounter his brother. And he is, he's like, okay, this, he's going to kill me because last time that was his brother's intent. The last time he, you know, when he had left home. And so he divides his clan up and he says, okay, maybe if some of them go ahead, then he will kill them and the rest of us can escape. And then he has this night where he is literally wrestling with, and scripture says the angel of the Lord, but a lot of scholars believe when we see that phrase in scripture, it's actually a pre-incarnate, so a, a pre-earthly, pre-human form Jesus. So anyway, he's he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord and they wrestle all night long. And then we read in scripture that the angel of the Lord dislocates his hip socket, basically, and, and prevails. Now, obviously he would have prevailed anyway, but he allowed Jacob to wrestle with him. I think that's profound. He allowed him, you almost, you almost can picture him like a father who arm wrestles with his son. And, you know, he's laughing and he's like letting the son think he's kind of winning a little bit. Anyway, so he, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and then, and then the angel of the Lord prevailed. And there are a couple things that really strike me with that passage. One It's okay to wrestle with God. Like we never see him being chastised. Why did you do that? You who do you think you were to wrestle with me? But then there also does come a point when I think we have to say, Okay, I I surrender. Like I I may not like this. I, I may not like what's going on, but I am going to choose to trust you.
2: Jennifer, I love what you're saying because it is so important to know that it is okay to doubt. It is okay to question. I saw the funniest poster kind of meme on Instagram and I printed it out, which I don't normally do, but I had to have it somewhere I could see it. And it simply said, "Ugh, is a complete prayer. And that made me feel so much better. That There are times I'm not going to have the words. There are times when I am hurting and angry and full of doubt. And I can just go to God and say, ugh. And He totally understands and so covers me with grace that it's, that it's, it's good to know that that's okay.
0: Yeah. I went through, I, I think it was about 10 years ago now. And I had a friend that was dying of brain cancer. And this hit me super hard, I think for a couple of reasons. One, because if you would have asked me in the moment, I was absolutely certain that God was going to heal her. Like I had no doubt whatsoever. And he was going to be glorified. She was absolutely certain that God was going to heal her. And, and he didn't. And plus, I think it was also, it was hard because, you know, when we talked about being careful who we share our doubts with and who we share really just a lot of stuff with, she could not share a lot of her emotions with her family because they were grieving. So her husband was grieving, her children were grieving. And so she shared with me because I was close enough with her that she could, but also. I was enough removed where she didn't feel responsible for my emotions. And so I think that was part of what made it really hard as well. And as it became clear that God was not healing her, that she was kind of slowly and she was, you know, she lost her eyesight and then she lost her mobility and things. she just kind of slowly lost her ability. And so I, and I became so angry with God. I couldn't pray. I didn't want to talk to him. I really pulled away. And it got to one point where my world felt really dark. And I was in the kitchen one afternoon. And it was almost like I had this sense like I was I was standing kind of on the edge of a cliff. And I was ready to plummet basically into the darkness. And I had to make a choice. And it, and it kind of snapped me out of it. And I said, fine, I hate this. I hate that you won't heal her. I will never understand why you won't heal her, but I'm going to choose to obey you. I am going To choose now, I still was angry. I didn't tell him I wouldn't be angry, but I said I'm still choosing you. And it was interesting. The minute I did that, it was like this heavy weight lifted. And it wasn't that my grief was gone, and it wasn't even that my anger was gone. I I do think my anger shifted. I started then to become angry with, and I think that's just what the Holy Spirit does with us: is He gives us His perspective. I started to become angry at the brokenness of our world, not as much at God. And then I that weight. I think lifted because I was pushing away from God. I don't believe he ever walked away from me, but I was distancing myself from him. And the minute my wrestling stopped, it was like all of a sudden I, I just relaxed in his arms. And so I allowed him to comfort me probably in the way that he wanted to the entire time. And so that was kind of my, my even if moment. And and she had, she had her own even if moments as well, where she had to get to, and towards the end of her life, she just had such such a peace and closeness with God and experience of his presence that was absolutely beautiful, but it still hurt.
2: It's one of those things, like you just said, so many times through our suffering, we have to get to that point where we either choose God or we choose to turn from God. So we can either choose to increase life or increase discouragement. But one way or the other, we're going to choose. and Our response, like in your situation, it doesn't always change the circumstance, but it will dramatically change how we go through through them, you know, when we don't understand. And there's a lot in this world. There's a lot in my own life I don't understand. I have to make a conscientious choice to trust God's heart, to trust that God knows what he's doing. You know, I often think of the story of Lazarus. You know, here you had siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, which we do know they were close friends, and Lazarus died. They were so sure that God was going to come, kind of like with you and Iris, they were so sure that God was going to come and heal Lazarus. But Jesus didn't. In fact, he waited three days. And in Jewish culture, three days, you were considered really dead. Jesus waited that long. And then he went back and he went and Martha and Mary both came to him and said, where were you? Why didn't you do this? We know you could have. And Martha said, I know you can, but it's going to be in eternity. It's not going to be now. And Jesus wept. We don't really know why he cried. He knew what was about to happen. But I think to me, what it speaks to is that he was not flippant towards their grief he wasn't flippant toward their suffering. The situation brought glory to God.
0: You know, one thing I, I love about that passage too, is it begins with, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I, lo- I I think that is an important heart position, an important assurance, even if we don't feel like God loves us, where we we talked earlier about choosing to believe. So if scripture says God is love, then everything he does must be done in love, or he would be contradicting himself. And so we Start with that, Lord, the one you love is sick, and it's also interesting. It's like she just expected you love him. You have power. You've been healing all these other people. Surely you're going to come and heal my brother. And only Jesus, the one who loved them all, he didn't respond in a way that they thought he should. And both sisters said, "If you had been here, he wouldn't have died." And I kind of envision. And one scholar said that that this could indicate that they'd been saying that to each other, or maybe even people. I would not be surprised if others were, well, if he really loved you, or if he really was the Messiah, or if he really had power, he would have healed. In fact, they said that later, like, couldn't he have healed him? And to your point, Kelly, we will never learn to trust God's hand if we don't First come to trust, trust his heart. And and I think it's significant. Jesus knew their longing, he knew their pain, but his love for them allowed them to experience disappointment. And it moved him to defy their expectations really because he had a greater goal in mind than keeping them from temporary pain. He knew what they he knew what they desperately wanted, but more than that, he knew what they and everybody else needed.
2: I love that. And there's another line that really jumps out to me later when Jesus is about to pray over Lazarus and over the situation. He starts with, "I give thanks." So he didn't begin to pray by saying, "God fix this, God intervene." And I think in the midst of our struggles, gratitude is very hard, because we are not necessarily thankful for what we're going through, because we don't have that eternal perspective. We're looking at the right here and the right now. I need it fixed now. Well, so we're looking 40 feet ahead and God is looking 40,000 feet above. And so that happened in my own situation when I started saying, thank you. Thank you for what I'm going through. Thank you for all the ways that my life has changed for the better. Then I had a, a more heavenly view of what was going on.
0: Right. And we do place in, especially in the United States, I know some of our listeners are not in the United States. So some of you actually might be a lot more mature than, than some of us believers in the United States who really struggle with with suffering. And we can place such an emphasis on our comfort and not enough emphasis on those things that are of eternal value. And we, we see, scripture says that Jesus endured for the joy that was set before him. And so to suffer well, we must increase our anticipation for everything that awaits us in heaven. So our hope and our strength increases and our despair decreases the more we lift our gaze and set our mind on those things above.
2: Absolutely. I also think that sometimes these trials that we go through reveal doubt, reveal things that we might otherwise ignore, or maybe we're even numb to. It really draws out what idols you've allowed kept resonance in your life and false securities that we've come to rely on other than God. So I know in my case, I used to be told People would say about me, they go, oh, that Kelly, she doesn't suffer fools well. I took that as a compliment. It was not meant as a compliment. It was meant as somebody who was snappy towards people that I thought weren't doing what they should be doing. And then when I became totally dependent on other people, that really kind of opened my eyes. I had allowed that false belief to come in and hurt people.
0: Interesting, because I would say that's not at all how I see you. So that God did a complete 180 because you're probably one of the more patient people that I know. And you deal with me all the time. So that in and of itself is Extra dose of the Holy Spirit, but you know one thing that this passage with Lazarus alerted me to is, you know, when Jesus said, "Do you believe that he will rise again?" Basically, and she said, "Yes." When at, at the resurrection, and he was talking about, "No, I'm going to raise him to life," and by then they had already determined, like it's too late. Like you said, in in Jewish culture, by day four, they they thought the soul was gone. There, you know, there's no more, no more hope, and and so they're like. It's too late, God, but why is it we so often trust God with our eternal salvation? right? It's like, yes, there is going to be a resurrection at the the last day, but no, this is too hard for you right now, like that's a contradiction, right? <laughs> that really kind of strikes me in that story and and I can do that a lot of times as well. That doesn't mean I do want to be careful here because that doesn't mean God will do everything we want now because he will absolutely only and always do what is for our ultimate best and, and what is for his glory. And so he has that filter that we don't even like in this story, they had no clue what was going on in the mind of Jesus, what he was going to do and what all he would, like if you look at, at the end of the story, there were a lot of others there who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. This was, and this was shortly actually before his death. So it's kind of like he's upping the ante you know, upping the miracles and and saying, look, guys, I am giving you every reason to believe I am who I say I am. And all of the people witnessing that miracle That had to have left a deep, deep impact.
2: Absolutely. And I know that people look to see, when we say that we're Christ followers, they really want to see how it is, how do we handle trials and tribulations. Reminds me of a verse, and I love this verse. I I am going to read it out of the New Living Translation, because I just love how they phrase it. But it's in Romans, it's Romans 5, 3 through 4. It says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until our faith and our hope is strong and steady. And to me, that's the story of Lazarus. That's the story of Jacob. It's the story of Moses. It's a story of hope. It's going through, the verse actually ends with, and hope never fails, which I love because sometimes we feel like our world is going to pieces. And even if I persevere, even if it has developed character, I've lost hope, I've lost faith, but that's not what Jesus promises is that no, hope never fails.
0: Suffering just reminds us of our end goal, right? Our final destination that, and, and praise God for this, I would not want to be stuck on earth <laughs> any longer than I have to be. And it reminds us that our our earth is not our home. It's not our final destination. And it points us to heaven where our true hope lies. And And you know, Shaka, Shaka Hines. And some of our listeners do as well. She was on a while back where she shared her story of grief, of losing her son, and and how God walked beside her through all that. Well, I saw her through I knew her before her son died and her son had a lot of challenges and so she was pretty much a full-time caretaker caretaker for Landon and there were multiple times where he did literally die and his pacemaker would shock him back to life where she would be carrying his lifeless body into the ambulance and then in the ambulance he would he would revive and and he was amazing a beautiful he had the biggest Biggest cheeky smile, but he was an adorable little kid. But I watched Shaka through what she endured, and then especially as she grieved her son and she was very authentic. She was very raw and very real. And in her raw and in her real, she glorified Christ because she just kept pointing to heaven saying, I am going to see my son again. My son is whole. My son has joy. Yes, she's still hurt. Yes, she's still grieved. But I saw a depth of faith, a depth of maturity in her and a depth of that few people, I think, experience unless you go through some of those really tough things that kind of like take the scales out off our eyes and, and shock us out of our complacency and our our
2: god of comfort, I think. That's such an amazing story. And I do know Shaka. Her heart is just for people or other for her life. It's just so beautiful. And You wouldn't know if you first met her all that she's walked through because she just glows. There's just such a light that comes from her. And it's so beautiful. One of the things, too, that I like about Romans 5, the verse I just read, is that some people, some translations say we can rejoice when we have affliction. And that word it does mean suffering, but it was put there because some believe, especially in the early church, saw affliction, saw trial, saw persecution as a sign of God's wrath. God must be angry at me. That's why I'm going through this. And the reason Paul used that word is he wanted to challenge them not to see it that way, to see it as a way to build character, that God isn't angry. God just wants the best for you and that sometimes we do have to walk through, but we do have to persevere. We do have to go through things that on the surface don't seem to make any sense, but again, it goes
0: back to building that faith and that hope. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I see, I, I watched with Shaka, and then I watched with my friend Iris, and and I've even experienced how God has used suffering to shift priorities. And and I think Iris's life actually really began the shift because God kind of spoke to me through that as well. He's like, "Yeah, you have life, so don't waste it." And that was a really big. That that kind of woke me up, but I watched that in her. I watched her as she got nearer her life. It, the only thing that near the end of her life, I'm sorry, the only thing that mattered to her was salvation, the salvation of her boys and the salvation of her extended family. No longer did I hear her talk about the cute little purse she saw at the store or, and again, there's nothing wrong with that, but when your time is is super short or when life is incredibly hard, those things, they don't seem quite as shiny anymore, I think.
2: Oh, amen to that. And I know I saw that in my own situation. I often call my pre-start life my myopic view because the world revolved around Kelly. And I had two boys and I still revolved around me. And when I was in the hospital, I was really angry because I lost half my body. I'm what they call a hemiplegic. meaning my left side is completely paralyzed. And I was in this inpatient hospital setting watching other stroke survivors fully using their body. And then one day, I went, and I had the darkest cloud over my head. I was not the nicest person that first few weeks in rehab because that was just bad. But I sat next to a lady one time who had complete control of her body they were asking her to put pegs in a pegboard. And as she did, they were asking her, what color is the peg? And she had a green one in her hand. And she goes, red, yellow, blue, and tears are pouring down her face because she knew it was green. But because of the stroke and the aphasia, she couldn't get the word out. And that second, I just said, God, forgive me. I'm not going to and, I, and I, I have a second chance at life, and I need to reorganize my priorities. I have two shell-shocked teenagers that had just gone through a divorce three years prior, and now this was happening to their mom. And I had to stop thinking just about myself. I had to change my priorities, and the only way I could do that was by total surrender, telling God, "I can't do this. I don't even know what to do. You've got to help me walk this." And He
0: did. And because of that, I and I can see Christ in you. And and I think it's largely because you cling to him despite your suffering. Because if your hope was, like Paul said, if our hope is for this world alone, then we of all people should be pitied. And so if your hope was in this world, Kelly, you probably wouldn't have made that shift. Have you ever had... People either ask you directly or maybe you got the impression that they were kind of curious as to why you what what allowed you to bounce back emotionally.
2: Absolutely. And that's been for someone that doesn't particularly consider themselves an evangelist, I'm not ever gonna be standing on a straight corner passing out tracks. I'm not gonna stop people in the store to share Jesus. It's been so wonderful to have my life be a living testimony that people can come up to me. You know, as we said at the beginning, people always say to me, you have such a good attitude and I can say because of Jesus, because of my faith, I can do this.
0: That's beautiful. And that reminds me of a quote from John Piper. So this is his book, Don't Waste Your Life. And he said, the world is not impressed when Christians get rich and say thanks to God. They are impressed when God is so satisfying that we give our riches away for Christ's sake and count it gain. And so I'm going to expand on this. What he's saying If you were to take like the principle pulled from that, they're not impressed when life is all rosy and you're like, Hey, hallelujah, praise Jesus. But when you are in a position where it seems like you should have absolutely no hope and no joy and yet they see you getting up and pushing through and and showing up for your kids and maybe showing up for your spouse or for your mom or or whoever is in in your circle and
2: clinging to hope that speaks it does so much and i think one of the things i want to make very clear is that we suffer a lot of our suffering is like you said earlier Because we live in a broken world. It's not necessarily because we're Christ followers. I don't want anyone to get the idea that, oh, as soon as you become a Christian, life is so hard. It's just suffering after suffering after suffering. It's going to be suffering, whether you're a believer or not, just because of the world that we live in. The difference is how do you get through it? You know, what kind of strength, what kind of hope and faith do you have through it?
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
2: So the other thing that I have learned is that not only does it kind of the suffering kind of increase our witness, but it increases the chances for other people to bless us. One of the hardest lessons I had to learn was I was still determined to be independent. I was still determined to show the world that even though I was physically disabled, I could do it myself. And I got constantly asked, can I help you? Can we bring, can we do something for you? And I constantly said, no. And then one day, my godmother she told me, "You are keep God told me to do this for you, and you are keeping me from blessing you, and you're going to have to take it up with Him." And I step back and like, God, if you want to use other people to be a blessing, I don't want to stop that.
0: So your so your point being is that our suffering can allow others to experience God's love throwing flowing through them as well. Really, it bonds us. I think it bonds humanity. It bonds the body of Christ together because we were meant to live interdependently. And so when, when we suffer and then we, it builds our empathy, our perseverance, our hope, and then we're better able to offer those same things to others and to lean on them when they can offer it back to us. And I, I think, you know, just kind of like we mentioned in that it helps us understand people more. It takes away our pride. It draws us closer to Jesus. And so anytime his spirit flows through us, we're automatically going to be more gracious and loving and empathetic. We think it is so great to be so independent, but really that gets us in trouble because our strength is not very strong and our wisdom is faulty. And the sooner we realize that and turn to Christ, then the better off we'll be. Well, this is again, a complex topic, and we don't, honestly, we don't know where you are in your journey and that's okay. God knows. So if we can say nothing else, we would encourage you just keep going to him. Go to him when you're mad, go to him when you're scared, go to him when you're sad. As long as you keep your eyes on him and then cre- keep seeking him in the middle of your pain or whatever you're experiencing, then he will carry you through. Well, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, we would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode and make sure to rate it. That helps others to find it and encourages our team as well. And share it with your friends, especially if you know someone who is suffering. Then we would encourage you to share this episode with them as well. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set
1: free. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com.